Dua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown! Alabama! Devontae Smith! Touchdown, Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Alabama is back as the champion of college football. Tungle by Lowell going downfield. He's got a man open. Oh, my God. Touchdown. Alabama has won it. We just lost him in the secondary. Too deep. Got behind our quarterback. And the Crimson Tide, sweet jubilation for them as the dogs are heartbroken. Oh, I try to make up for it. Nick Saban is a better man than you are. Bama has not lost. The dynasty is not over. Bama's dynasty has just begun. Kiss my butt. Wrong kind. What the hell is this? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. You're like, Brian. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Yeah. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. It is the Weekly Dose. For January 10th, 2018, my name is Brian Stone. This is the most listened to, the most downloaded, the most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. A multi-platformed, multimedia kind of day. I'll get to that here in a few minutes. And a handful of a couple of different subjects coming up today on the show. The Stone On Air podcast, the weekly dose for January 10th. Woke up yesterday morning at 6.30 a.m. It was awful. (laughs) I don't know how some of you people do it. I would say the majority of people, everyday, average, ordinary Americans, probably have to get up pretty early every day. For the most part, for the majority of my life, I have not had to do that. But I will say I have worked some of the more odd hours you could possibly throw at a person. And so I constantly kind of get snickers from people at the uh, at the day job about because that, that's a very early the beer business starts very early in the morning five o'clock in the morning for some people maybe even earlier for some and so I you know I'm like oh my god I had to get up at 6 30 this morning Jesus shoot me like dude we were already out on the roads rolling beer by 6 30 man give me a break dude I don't want to hear that mess and as I say with anything, when somebody tries to like kind of one up you on, on 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 you know maybe what your story is, it's like, listen, bro, hey, my problem, you got to get up at five. It, it, my problem was I had to get up at six thirty. You know, <laughs> your anecdotal situation ain't got shit to do with mine. So, and it's usually all in good fun. It's not real arguments, but man, it ruined my freaking day. And uh, the reason, uh, it, well, it ruined my day, but it, I don't really mean that. It was actually a really great day uh, on Tuesday. This is Wednesday the 10th. Thank you for finding the show. 
at Stone on Air on all social media. I'll lay out the show here in a minute. Uh, but the reason I was up so early on Tuesday was because I was doing the Facebook Live from the Times Free Press with Brad Steiner from Hits 96 and Barry Corder from the Times Free Press. They do lots of Facebook Lives. I've done two or three of them uh, with them before. Uh, Le- uh, Leslie Dale is usually there as well, but she was on vacation yesterday. And we were setting up and planning to do the show right as the Bonnaroo announcement was made, which we, we in fact, did. Actually got it a little early, got it the night before around midnight. And uh, underwhelming, to say the least. I'm still trying to kind of piece my way through it. I'll talk about that a little bit uh, over the course of the show and, and more probably later on in the year. But the headliners, Eminem, The Killers, Muse... None of that does a whole lot for me. Uh, Sturgill Simpson, I'm looking forward to. Alt-J, Moon Taxi, Old Crow Medicine Show. I'm just telling you the ones that I like. Manchester Orchestra, Trombone Shorty, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. There's a list of, you know, hundred some odd acts, just like always. And uh, so it was released Tuesday morning. So I get up at 6.30. I want to make sure and get up and have plenty of time to... I mean, we're on, you know, not a TV show, but a webcast that has thousands of viewers. So I don't want to look bad and I want to, you know, sound good. So I, I got up a little, a little extra early and got there around 7.30. We did the show at 8. Um, then I had to go over to the radio station for a while mid-morning to get ready for the afternoon show. Then did the uh, Alt 98.7 afternoon show, which was basically a Bonnaroo uh, kind of look ahead <clears throat> afternoon. And uh, then had to finish out the day job. And then I don't know how many of you guys think about it or care, but I I do this podcast the night before. I do it every Tuesday night, usually pretty close to midnight to try to make sure I'm as up on all the pertinent details of things going on around me. And so it was an all day multifaceted, multi-platform kind of day that uh, was a ton of fun and absolutely freaking exhausting. Was it deliver beer for a living all day exhausting? Was it selling beer all day uh, exhausting? Was it laying brick all day exhausting? No, but in its own right, it was uh, it, it it took a lot out of me, but it was a whole lot of fun. So check that out on the Facebook page. It's on my page. It's on t- Times Free Press. It, by now, if you care, you've probably already seen it. So the Shaking Knees lineup came out this week as well. It is just as much fun as getting ready for, for, for summer concert season and festival season or all the announcements earlier in the year. Just kind of get you dreaming of the, the springtime and the summer. Uh, Shaking Knees, I will be at this one again this year. Jack White, Queens of Stone Age, War on Drugs, Tenacious D, David Byrne, Vance Joy, Courtney Barnett, and the list goes on and on and on from there. So looking forward to that. I will try to do some ticket giveaways with some of these festivals, but I just don't know that I have the clout yet to actually be able to do ticket giveaways, but I will be submitting those proposals uh, sometime here soon. Do want to remind you to sign up for the newsletter. I'll put that out on Facebook and Twitter over the course of the next couple of days. I haven't done a good job of doing those regularly, but I'm going to try. It's a New Year's resolution, if you will, as even though New Year's resolutions are absolutely lame and for total losers, I'm going to try. And uh, the Newsmaker line, 301-8080-423-301-8080-4230. Give that a ring, and the best of the worst and the best of the best likely will be back uh, or be played here on the show, I should say. I put together the open with that Alabama uh, play call stuff and the set to the Titanic music and that uh, idiot uh, Alabama caller just on the fly. I just thought it was kind of funny. I'm going to open the show with talking a little bit about the football uh, landscape, the Titans, and the college football championship. So if that's not your thing, I apologize. Shortly after that, I will segue into um, a segment that I put out there on Facebook the other day about uh, the DUI and um, enforcement and the beer board and Sky Zoo and all that. I'm going to do that here in the first segment after I get done talking about the football. Later on, the final segment of the show, this country has been a damn circus for the better part of 200-plus years. 
A lot of us running around and acting like, and you know, oh my God, things have never been this bad. Oh, geez. I can't believe this. Things Now more than ever, this is more important than ever. This is the most important midterm election year ever. That's not true. It never has been. They say it every single time. And I've got a opinion piece from the New York Times that I'm going to read portions of. And it basically, the point of it is, the anti-Trump movement is starting to get dumb. It's starting to look stupid. It's starting to stoop to the levels of the things that supposedly upset the anti-Trump movement. And we'll put that all together with talk about how stupid nonsense has been happening since the beginning of this country and certainly in modern times for the last hundred years. It's, it's been pretty stupid, pretty awful, and pretty regularly. It's not just now gotten that way. We'll do that in the final segment. And Stone's Throw... These are kind of going to bleed together, kind of piggyback each other. The book by that dude, Wolf, Fire and Fury. And it's how everything, it's not just fake news. It's fake everything now. Everything's fake. People just want to be fed what they want. It doesn't matter if it's real or not. And accountability is absolutely non-existent. There is no such thing as accountability. At my old company that uh, just got bought out and all that, you've heard me talk about it, there was huge signs all over the, the, the building and the warehouse and the offices constantly that said accountability, and every year just changed the year. Accountability 14, accountability 15, and it just it literally just changed the year. Accountability 17, and there was no accountability whatsoever. And that wasn't just unique to the company. It's unique to our entire culture right now. There is no accountability. Nobody is 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 held with any kind of uh, uh, consequences for when fake, fraudulent, not real information is spread. And that didn't used to be that way. That absolutely didn't used to be that way. And that is kind of new. I'll get to that in Stone's Throw. So in less than 10 minutes, you can just call me a DUI apologist, I guess. What does that mean? Well, hang tight and I'll get to it here shortly. But I wanted to talk about the uh, national championship game and the Titans game the other day. And um, the the dogs, you know, Georgia lost in just heartbreaking fashion. Uh, the Falcons last year lost the Super Bowl in heartbreaking fashion. Most Falcons fans are Georgia dog fans. And I don't know how you could ever watch a football game again after seeing that. After those two collapses, I know the Georgia one the other day earlier this week was not as bad as the Falcons one, but they, 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 they were similar in, in a lot of respects. And it's how can you possibly watch another uh, football game after that uh, growing up when I was uh, you know 15 14 15 16 17 18 19 20 21 until like I was 25 years old my favorite teams were the Vols the Titans and the Braves now I've since fallen out of love with college football don't care a bit about uh, any of these teams don't care about the 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 Vols don't care about Georgia, don't care about Alabama. I just watch them for the sake of, you know, because I'm a sports kind of guy. I like sports, right? I mean, Saturdays are fun, but I don't root for anybody. It's children playing football. It's minor league football. But when I was younger, and I was basically younger than the players in the college level, so it's still something to kind of look up to, I was a big Vols fan. And the Vols won the national championship in 98, and they were always competing in 99 and 2001 and 2 and 3. And the, and the Braves were competing from 91 to 2004, and the Titans went to the Super Bowl in 99, and they were one of the best teams in the league in 2000 and 2001 and 2003 and 2004. And so I'm, I'm in my early 20s, late, late teens, early 20s, thinking – this is just what happens, right? This is my favorite teams just always win. I mean, this is just how it's going to be, right? I mean, it's a total naive way of looking at it, but that's how I that's how I operated, which is absolutely foolish, but I was a foolish child. I didn't know any better. And so if we didn't win, you know, in 2003, the Titans lost a heartbreaker at New England. That's where the Titans will be, be playing this weekend. 
And I thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl that year. They were certainly good enough. And they lost that game. And yeah, it hurt, but I was like, yeah, well, no big deal. We'll be back. We'll do it again next year, right? It's all good. Yeah, no, not really, actually. The Braves, early 2000s, late 90s, would lose the World Series or lose in the playoffs deep and or, or you know, in heartbreaking fashion, or sometimes they just got beat by a better team. You know, who really cares? We'll be back. We'll just do this again next year. It's all good. What's on to what's next? Titans get beat by you know a heartbreaking game to the Ravens or or the 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 the, the Raiders beat them in the AFC Championship in 2002, and you just think, ah, eh, it's no big deal. We were at the Super Bowl the other year. We'll be back next year. No problem. Fast forward a decade and a half, and the Atlanta Braves have not won a playoff series. The Tennessee Titans until last week had not won had not won a playoff game, and the Tennessee Vols are well. If you follow it all, clearly you know how awful it's been for them. So sitting around there having three teams that won all the time, thinking, eh, no big deal, taking it for granted, that's a bad approach. And I, I heard some people, I listened to Atlanta Radio today, of thinking, it's all good, guys. We're going to be back. We're going to be back. We're going to be good for a long time. You don't know that. You do not know that. They have not been in a national championship game in 38 years. For all you know, it'll be 38 more. And when your team gets an opportunity to win, savor it. Take it in. Soak it in. I always say, and no matter whatever it is in life, but I usually equate it to sports, do not miss an opportunity to get excited. Never turn down an opportunity for excitement because true authentic excitement doesn't happen all that often. And that's why with a game like the Titans and the, and the Patriots this weekend on a Saturday, I finally got to see a playoff game win. I'm 38 years old almost. The last time they won a playoff game, I was 23. 23. That was 15 years ago. That's exciting. Yeah, we're going to go play the Patriots. They're probably going to kick our asses up and down the field all day long. That doesn't matter. It's Saturday night. It's an event. It's something to gather with friends for. It's something to have a good time with. Do not pass up an opportunity to get excited. Oh, my God. They're just going to get their ass kicked. This is terrible. No, it's not. This is exciting. And it was exciting for Georgia on, on Monday, and they missed that opportunity. And you never know if you're going to be back. There's only a couple, Alabama and the Patriots, that buck that trend. And they're such outliers. They're such the exception that they don't count. Most teams do not continuously win and continuously give their fans an opportunity for a championship. It almost never happens. All right, so let's see. Let's talk about this thing here real quick. And this is going to go back into Brian is an apologist for uh, DUI uh, offenders. And, you know, if that's what you want to think or if that's what people want to think, that's fine. I don't care. Somebody has to say things out loud that some people don't want to, and I will. Sky Zoo is a test case for Chattanooga's new DUI enforcement strategy. The Chattanooga Beer Board went off the beaten path Thursday. This was a week ago when it gave a two-week, so the first week of January, when it gave a two-week beer sale suspension to Sky Zoo. Chattanooga police set out to show a pattern of drunk drivers leaving the Brainerd nightclub. In one of the few times their beer board, which typically cites bars, restaurants, and stores for serving underage drinkers, has punished a business for customers driving under the influence. Now, Austin uh, uh, Lieutenant Austin Garrett, actually, I realize, is a Facebook follower, Instagram follower, and a Twitter follower of mine. I don't know. But I guess that means he somewhat uh, enjoys the show on occasion, so this might upset Austin. I'd love to talk to you, um, Mr. Garrett, if you're listening. To have you on the show would be awesome. He quotes, Our job is to reduce crashes and save lives. The police department's tactical and traffic operations commander, commander that's Austin Garrett, who initiated a new emphasis on having patrol officers try to figure out where DUI offenders had been drinking. As a matter of fact, I do need to get uh, Officer Garrett on the on the show because this is this is his initiative. He's pushing this. 
after they pinpoint where they think the drivers are, are predominantly coming from, the name of the bar or restaurant to blame gets forwarded to Officer John Collins, who is who assigned to the beer board. He works with Assistant City Attorney Keith Reisman to look for a pattern of DUIs. And it goes on and on talking about basically wanting to hold it accountable, the um, the servers in the restaurants that quote-unquote overserve. And I, I get it. I understand where they're coming from, but here's, here's my thing, and this is where the O'Brien just takes up for DUI offenders. Anybody who knows anything about me knows awful driving is something I take very seriously. But we live in a culture and in a society and an economic environment that thrives on the food and beverage industry. It is a large part of American lifestyle and commerce. If we insist on setting these blood alcohol levels so low where it makes it almost impossible to go to an establishment and drink a little bit and not legally be drunk, and then we're going to target places that serve alcohol, it just doesn't work that way. That doesn't make that, that that doesn't make good common sense, and nobody wants to have this argument. But I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you a quick example. I went to watch the Titans game on Saturday at a local bar. I'm not gonna tell you where. Met up with a handful of friends. It was actually kind of a family affair. We even had a kid, a, a young child at the table. So this wasn't some big rowdy bar. Our waitress was probably not a day over 21 years old. Just a child working probably what equates to her first real job. I ordered, over the course of four and a half hours watching the Titans and Chiefs, six, count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, 24-ounce tall draft Miller Lite beers. You know what that equals? A 12-pack of light beer over the course of four and a half hours. Now, on paper, because of the absurdly low blood alcohol legal limits, I'm drunk off my ass. Make the argument, have a drinking problem. I get it. That's another story for another day. I can handle that kind of amount of light beer, and no one's going to look at that guy over there and thinking, what's up with that dude? Man, that guy's drunk over there. But where does this line get drawn? Who? Where does this 21-year-old girl, no real life experience, doesn't have any background in behavioral science, when, when does she decide, when does management, when does ownership, when does the, the, the server themselves decide when you've been served too much? How is that determination made? And I, I saw on the thread, I decided not to even print off the thread because there's a bunch of people arguing at each other on my Facebook page. Like, Brian, all servers have to go to a, a ABC and tips class. Yeah, I know. I work in the, the alcohol industry. I work in the beer business. I know how it works. I also was 21 years old. I was also a dumb child, too. You remember, You were, too. Remember? Oh, hey, I need to get a job. Oh, man, I might make this much money. Yeah, but you got to go pass this test. <laughs> whatever the hell. I'll do whatever it takes to pass the test. You're not learning anything at that age. So now this girl, not a day over 21, seems to be a hardworking, very, very busy night, Saturday night, NFL wildcard weekend at this place where people go to watch football in a family environment, but whatever, the environment shouldn't be that important. I got served a 12-pack of beer. I wasn't really, really, really drunk, but I certainly wasn't really, really sober, and legally, I was trashed. She doesn't know if I was getting in my car and driving. So see, my point is, where, where does this get decided? Everybody is different. This is all subjective. This is all, and, and, and this coming from a world uh, where discretion is not allowed. So you're, you're, you're telling somebody they need to use discretion in a world of, of enforcement that doesn't allow discretion at all. And what do I mean? This is, I've done this before. It's probably been about a year since I've last done it. The buzz driving is drunk driving bullshit campaign out there put on by the state of Tennessee and probably many states in the country. You've seen it. Buzz driving is drunk driving. Bullshit it is. 
Y'all ever been wasted drunk, blind ass, menace to society drunk, and .08 legal limit drunk? Have you ever been both those two things? You probably have. Do those mirror themselves in any way? Are those the same thing at all? Of course they're not. Of course they're not. But the penalties for, for breaking that law are the same if you're just a touch over the limit or you're legally blind ass drunk. And that's wrong, absolutely wrong. Discretion should be allowed, but it's not. Now we don't we don't we don't use this flawed ass logic in anything else. That would be like saying if in in, uh, in the world of shoplifting or or theft that uh, oh uh, petty theft theft under five hundred is the same as grand larceny. That's the dumbest sounding thing you've ever heard. Of course they're not the same thing. You stole something that cost twenty bucks, or you stole something that cost twenty thousand dollars. It's not the same thing, and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be uh, penalized the same way. That would be like saying vehicular homicide is the same as first degree premeditated murder. What? Of course those aren't the same thing. And of course they don't have the same penalties. And of course they're not they're not they're not enforced the same way. That's a, that's lunacy if you if you said that. But if you say buzz driving is drunk driving, you're somehow making sense. And just because nobody will argue this point doesn't mean any of that is not true. And you and and you know very intelligent listener of this podcast, you get it. But so now we have enforcement from the uh, from the beer board from this asshole John Collins, and who's who's on record as really being kind of a, a loose cannon, trying to go around, and they're just trying to put Sky Zoo out of business. You want to figure out a way to put them out of business? Fine. You get a disease walking in the building over there, probably a front for drug trade, probably an absolute trash hole. But but to go around trying to say that young people, primarily who have these positions, who have no real life experience, who have no understanding of behavioral science, who have no you know psychiatrist or psychologist kind of background to where they can identify and and, and evaluate every situation they have is is insane and it's not all right at all. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to put up with it. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life screaming about this. And I know there's cops over the years where I used to do this on the talk station who couldn't wait to catch me for a DUI. Cause yeah, I go out and I drink a lot. I, I do pretty good at, at following most laws. I break some occasionally. I try not to ever. Oh, I'll get that guy one of these days. But it's 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 absurd and it wouldn't be tolerated in any other kind of legality situation where, where two things are completely different things yet prosecuted as if they're the same with the exact same kind of penalties. It's just a way for local law enforcement and local beer boards and the ABC to control the situation, control the market, control the money flow, to, to tax here, to fine here, to make money. We're trying to keep people safe. That's what they say when they set up speed traps, which is the biggest lying bunch of bullshit ever. Oh, yeah, we're just setting up these speed traps on 153 where the, uh, the, where the where there's a drastic change in the, in the speed limit to, uh, to save lives. No, you're not. You're making money. That's fine. You can do that because you're supposed to be following the law. Just stop lying to me. You know the whole thing. Frauds. Don't be a fraud. Don't be a liar. White lies, black lies, all lies. They all matter. And this isn't about keeping people safe. This is about trying to, first of all, run Sky Zoo out of town, probably. You want to run them out of town? Figure out what the front is and how that place is open still and where the drug trade is or, or where the, you know, where the legal activity is. And you want to, and they got people leaving drunk? Fine. Take them to jail. Give them a DUI. It's not the servers of these, of these establishments' responsibility to, to, to figure that out on their own. They're not qualified to do it. They're not qualified to do it. Generally speaking, they're young, dumb people. Inexperienced, young idiots usually have these jobs. 
I had them when I was young, too. It's all good. I'm not being a hater. Okay, Stone's Throw, where I'm going to rant about something like I haven't already done that yet. That Fire and Fury book is out, and everything is fake now. I mean, it's just the whole world is fake. There's absolutely no accountability left in our society. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? Serious talk. If any of you guys out there know Lieutenant Austin Garrett, the police department's tactical and traffic operations commander, tell him I'd like to talk to him civilly about that. Um, Because I'm serious. I'm dead serious. This is not right. The way these things are handled is not okay. And, uh, yeah, don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Don't get in a car and drive after you've been drinking. Have I been clear enough? But the way that it's handled, the way that these um, these the measurements are and the p- penalties and the procedures are all kinds of wrong. And because it's something about drinking and driving, oh, nobody can talk about it. Now, you can selfie yourself. And you can Snapchat yourself driving, and you can you can uh, Instagram yourself driving, and you can Facebook moments yourself driving, and you can do all these other distracted things. You can pop a bunch of pills. You can read a book. You can put on your makeup. You can do all kinds of other things that are totally dangerous and killing people left and right. That's all right. That's fine. We don't have any real structure to how we to, to, to how we police that. But by God, if you've had a couple of beers or you've had fifty beers, they all equal the same. You're 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 now brandished a, a, a drunk driver and and all the penalties are the same. It's wrong. It's it should not be handled this way. And uh, I'll scream it until the day I die. I will I will not stop this argument. And anybody who wants to hate on me for being a DUI apologist, so be it. Somebody needs to stand. Somebody needs a voice to stand up for them. And the the, the poor schmuck who had. Four and a half beers and you know and a light lunch or a light uh, Saturday afternoon brunch and is legally over the limit is not the same thing as somebody drinking all night long on a Friday getting out and, and menace to society putting everybody's life in danger who they come in contact with those aren't the same things they shouldn't be handled the same way all right so this book by this dude Wolf can't remember is it, is it George hell I don't even remember I just wrote down Wolf uh, I'm gonna get more into this into the final segment of the show they kind of piggyback each other a little bit. But this Fire and Fury book has got everybody uh, uh, talking and interested, and it's one of those, like, oh, my God, what do they say? It's like a total perfect example of just a rumor mill and, and gossiping, gossiping hallways of high school. I don't know. I'm interested. I probably will end up reading it. I, I believe there's going to be a lot of truth to this. I also believe there's going to be a lot of just hearsay, gossip, and rumors. And once upon a time, and this I mentioned earlier, and I'll talk more about it later, that things, you know, things are crazy. It's never been this bad. No, no, things have always been crazy and things have always been bad. It's just varying degrees. But one thing in modern America and especially modern media, and you know what, guys, how much I defend the media and how important the media and journalism, I believe, to a free republic is, to a democracy is. I hold the media is in such a high regard that I believe that it is one of the most important um, inventions, if you will, uh, of modern society. The media is that important. Without the media, you have chaos. You have no accountability. You have no way of keeping track of anything. In our new voyeuristic, you know, 21st century cable TV, multimedia kind of kind of world we live in now, the role of the media and journal- journalism has changed. 25 years ago, 
30 years ago, even still 15 to 20 years ago, when there were so few outlets to get your um, to get your 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 message out there for your distribution of your content, what you said mattered more. If you the death nail, the death nail of your career was to say something that was untrue in the 90s, in the 80s, certainly in the 70s, 60s. If you put out information that was proven false later on, it wasn't just like, ah, hey, well, got that one wrong. Anyway, what's my next assignment, editor? You don't have a next assignment, dude. You just made up a story or you at least published a story or reported or made a vignette or whatever it was, a featured piece with information that was bad, maybe either because you did it on purpose, which is the worst case scenario, or the best case scenario is you just didn't fact check well or you were lazy on your resources and your sources. Either one the same gives the same result. If you did it on purpose, you should be fired immediately. If you did it on accident, you should probably still be fired or at least put in a different role. That's how it was for generations of the evolution of media reporting and journalism. You had to get it right. It was so important to get it right that that was your motivation that if you got it wrong you would be shamed you would you would be you would be casted as just like i mean it's embarrassing as hell it's in, an embarrassment of all embarrassments to put out information that's 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 wrong that's incorrect and over the course of the shifting of the, into the internet and the more uh, the more vast distribution systems of content that's that somewhere went away and i i do say it's less on the media themselves and more on the consumers. I believe that the consumers are dumb. I don't think politicians are dumb. I think their constituents are dumb. I don't think media outlets are dumb. I think their consumers are dumb. So you have to feed the dumb people, the dumb masses, the dumb information, or you're going to lose their interest. And a book like this, Fire and the Fury, Fury and the Fiery, whatever the hell it's called, that has documents of, of plenty of, of, of real reporting and research I've read on to. I haven't read the book. I've read excerpts. Saying there's stuff here that's not verifiable. There's a lot of stuff that's not verifiable. And people can't get enough of it. Trump haters can't wait to get their hands on it. Trump lovers can't wait to ignore it. And there's no accountability once again. So when Rolling Stone, which I'm a I, I just love Rolling Stone magazine. It's very dear to me as a as a as a a form of, of media. When they put out the Virginia Tech story or whatever UVA rape case story that was totally fabricated. Yeah, whatever. On to the next story. The Duke lacrosse team with ESPN and whoever else many years ago. Yeah, well, whatever. I don't know. And now we're in this this world of just allegations and accusations. Accusations left, allegations to the right. We don't really ever have to verify anything. We just have to put something on the front page. MSN has to have something to get you to click on it. The headline news on the television show or on your Snapchat feed or on the Facebook page, there has to be something, you know, the clickbait thing. It doesn't matter if it's real because the attention spans are so short, nobody ever goes back to see if it's real because nobody really cares. They don't care if it's bad information. They want salacious. They want who kissed who, who's sleeping with who, who showed their boob yesterday. That's what the consumers want. So that's what the content creators, for lack of a better way of putting it, slash media and journalists, that's what they're providing because that's what their consumers want. And that's what why this book is going to sell millions of copies, if not already, or I guess already has. They rushed to get it out there because it was so, it was so in high demand. And yes, I want to read it too. I, I'm falling into the trap myself. I'm finding myself thinking, 
of the excerpts I've read and the and the conversation and the analysis of it that I've I've listened to, read and and seen, it's like I want it to be true. I want this to be true. In the end, truly, when I lay down at the end of the day, I don't want it to be true for the sake of filling my narrative. I want it to be true because I want to be able to trust the people who put out this information. Now, this is just a book. See, any old asshole can write a book. You know, that, that, that doesn't necessarily have journalistic standards when it comes from, like, news reporting. Maybe, maybe it does. Uh, maybe it doesn't. I don't, I don't really know when it comes to the book publishing world. But anybody can write a book and put whatever you want into it. There are no set standards there. You can lie and make stuff up in in, uh, in, in, in the book writing world, in the TV world, in the radio world, podcast world. You can say and do whatever you want. But if you're going to walk around telling, trying to convince people that you're somebody who gathers information and reports accurate information, you can't write books like this. Not when there's so much unverified information in it. And yeah, I want to read it. I, I absolutely want to read it. All right, I'll get into more of this a little bit here in the final segment of the show. Uh, the anti-Trump uh, movement is getting dumber and dumber and more stupid and more like all the things that they claim to be against. And that's becoming more and more prevalent in the uh, in the culture as you look around. And there's an op-ed from the New York Times that I'll read portions of here coming up in a minute. This is Moon Taxi. They are on the Bonnaroo 2018 lineup. I am a big fan. Also, uh, with this kind of a, a band is what you'll find on Alt 98.7. Manchester Orchestra is another one we play a lot. Looking forward to them. The Killers, I'll go see. Sturgill Simpson, uh, Bon Iver, Sheryl Crow, I'll definitely be there for that. Anderson Pack, I've been told, is somebody I definitely need to check out. Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. Yes, that's the name of that band. They've played the Revelry Room a couple times. I caught them once a while back. The Dreamers, eh, just to name a few. As Bonnaroo 2018 has been announced, and yeah, I'm a total dork, man. This is like Christmas morning for me when this kind of stuff happens, even if I don't like the lineup overall because Bonnaroo is just that kind of place, man. It is incredible. So on our way out here with Moon Taxi, I'll be right back and I'll get to that. Why are anti-Trump people beginning to get just as dumb as what they claim to hate? Next on the Stone On Air podcast, a weekly dose for January 10th, 2018. And I'll be right back. can do is remind us that things felt crowded and difficult and hectic in real time in all of these crises, whether it's McCarthy or whether it's the fight over isolation versus intervention in the 30s, whether it's uh, we're in the 50th anniversary year right now of 1968, a year that began with Tet, went through the terrible assassinations, riots, ended with the election of Nixon and somebody else that we compared Trump to a lot, George Wallace, who ran as a third party right wing populist candidate in 1968, carried five states, 13.5 percent of the popular vote. It was a crazy time. So, yes, these moments will be in the history books, whether this particular episode will, I, I don't know. But I do know people will be writing about Donald Trump as long as we write about American history. And that's going to be for a long time to come. Hey, let's party. Let's get down. Yep, Cheryl Crows at Bonnaroo 2018. Get out the camera, take a picture. Drag queens and the freaks are all- 
plenty of really good music, too. It's not just all the stuff you've heard over and over again. Song's called There Goes the Neighborhood. Goes the neighborhood. Welcome back to the Stone on Air podcast. My name is Brian, but you already knew that. That was John Meacham at the front of the uh, the rejoin. There, he is actually from Chattanooga, Tennessee. One of my lifelong goals is to someday interview him. He is a presidential historian. Uh, I don't have his bio in front of me. The guy's got an incredible career. He went to the school of Swanee or whatever that one is. And he's from Chattanooga, and that was from MSNBC, talking about some of the recent tweets from Trump. I dropped acid on a Saturday night just to see what the fuss was about. Bonnaroo, June 7th through 10th, 2018, Manchester, Tennessee, Eminem, The Killers, Muse, Sturgill Simpson, Cheryl Crow, and plenty, plenty, plenty more. All right, so this will be kind of an extension of last segment, and uh, Tim Kelly posted this link to the New York Times op-ed from, let's see, what's the dude's name? David Brooks. And if there's one piece of information you should take from this podcast today, that if Tim Kelly posts it on social media, you should stop what you're doing, or at least at the next available time where you can stop what you're doing and read it. He doesn't ever post anything that's not important, relevant, or interesting. Um, That's just the kind of guy he is. And I stopped and went and read this um, op-ed, and I'd already started to think some of this myself as over the course of this year, of the first year of this presidency. Yeah, I don't like the guy. I don't like Trump. Whatever. I've talked about this over and over and over again. I, I said it shortly after I kind of got over the shock that the guy won. This really isn't that important. This really isn't that big a deal. Yeah, some uh, some policy's going to get changed um, considerably, and you know things will happen over the course of this administration that you might not necessarily like if you're on a, a, a different party's ideology. But in the end, the next president is going to be a Democrat. The, the, the history of modern history shows that. It, it flips every four to, you know, eight years, basically. And then those policies will slowly shift to changing back. And we'll go back to continuing to add to the deficit now in this administration and the next one. Kicking cans, all these things, nothing changes. I can actually say you can make an argument, and I'll probably do an entire show or at least segment on this in the future, that the way we do our uh, constitutionally built government I, doesn't, for modern day standards, really work anymore. I mean, it, it honestly really doesn't work. And that's just kind of a fundamental change, cultural and generational shifts. That's probably for another day. But yeah, he's going to be around a little bit. We're already, you know, over you know, a year into this thing. It's going to be two years before you know it. You'll snap your fingers and 2018 will be over. The midterms will be over and we're already looking into the next general uh, election. But what I'm noticing is, is that the resist mo- movement, the anti-Trumpism, is beginning to almost mirror the uh, the things that they supposedly are so against. 
the way the lies, the manipulation, the uh, the, the constant uh, changing of the climate of the situation of the conversation to fit whatever the narrative is. The anti-Trump movement seems to be doing the exact same thing. You say you're so against all these things, yet you're doing them yourself. This book is a perfect example from this wolf dude. This 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 is basically a propaganda piece. It's a lot of information that's not even most lots of it's not even possible to verify, even if you wanted to. And in many cases, it doesn't even look like the information in that book was even wanted to be verified. So I'll get to this piece right now off the bat, and then I'll I'll, I'll kind of expand on it a little bit. But I, I do think you just you got to be careful how extreme you want to get because extreme in anything doesn't hold up. Moderate always wins. I can't think of a scenario in in most situational life where moderate doesn't maybe not always win outright. It always has the better chance over any kind of extreme. Moderation is key. You hear that all the time, right? Whether it's your drinking or whether it's whatever, moderation is key. And extreme views, extreme stances, extreme politics might work initially and get 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 the base riled up. It doesn't hold up over time. This is the decline of anti-Trumpism from David Brooks. The anti-Trump movement, of which I'm a proud member, seems to be getting dumber. It seems to be settling into a smug fairy tale version of reality that filters out discordant information. More anti-Trumpers seem to be telling themselves a madness of King George narrative. Trump is a semi-literate madman surrounded by sycophants who are morally, intellectually, and psychologically inferior to people like us. I'd like to think it's possible to be fervently anti-Trump while also not reducing everything to a fairy tale. The anti-Trump movement suffers from insularity. Most of the people who detest Trump don't know anybody who works with him or supports him. And if they do have friends and family members who admire Trump, they've learned not to talk about this subject. So they get most of their information about Trumpism from others who also detest Trumpism, which is always a recipe for epistemic closure. The movement also suffers from lowbrowism. Fox News pioneered modern lowbrowism. The modern lowbrow, think Sean Hannity, ignores normal journalistic or intellectual standards. It creates a style of communication that doesn't make you think more. It makes you think less and notice less. It offers a steady diet of affirmation, focuses on simple subjects that require very little background information, and get viewers addicted to daily doses of righteous contempt and delicious vindication. We anti-Trumpers have our lowbrowism too, mostly on late night TV. But anti-Trump lowbrowism bursts into full bloom with the Wolf book. Wolf doesn't pretend to adhere to normal journalistic standards. He happily admits that he's just tossing out rumors that are too good to check. The ultimate test of the lowbrow is not whether it challenges you, teaches you, or captures the contours of reality. It's whether you feel an urge to share it on social media. In every war, nations come to resemble their enemies. So I suppose it's normal that the anti-Trump movement would come to resemble the pro-Trump movement, but it's not good. I've noticed a lot of young people look at the monotonous daily hysteria of we anti-Trumpers and they find it silly. This isn't a struggle over a president. It's a struggle over whether what rules we're going to play by after Trump. Are we all going to descend permanently into the Trump standard of acceptable behavior? Or are we going to restore the distinction between excellence and mediocrity or the truth and a lie? Are we going to insist on the difference between a genuine expert and an ill-formed blowhard? Are we going to restore the distinction between those institutions like the Congressional Budget Office 
that operate by professional standards and speak with legitimate authority and the propaganda mills that don't. And that's pretty much the gist of that piece there. And it is very thought-provoking. Don't become what you hate. Don't play by the bad rules that you don't like. Be more creative than that. Be more intelligent than that. Fight a better fight. Kick someone's ass intellectually. Don't play into their poor standards. And it does come all the way back to what John Meacham was saying at the, at the front of this segment, that history is a good way to go back and reflect and realize that we're always overreacting. Everything seems bigger and more important in the moment. This country has been a damn circus for the better part of 200 years. Probably 240, 50, whatever it is, the exact number is probably ever since day one. But certainly, I don't I always say don't care about, I mean, I, I care about it from an understanding of, of, of perspective of history. But when we're talking about today, really only modern history post-World War II is what I'm overly that worried about as far as, as precedent setting. And it's been a damn circus since 1945. Things have been ridiculous internationally, nationally, locally, Ever since the turn of of of, of uh, out of the Great Depression and after the you know post World War II, I mean this anti-Trumpism is getting kind of stupid. The overreaction, the overreaching, the nonstop. Now we've got a, a a big push, Oprah for president because she said something on the Golden Globes the other day. Oprah, Oprah, what another television person with no political experience whatsoever? You got tens of millions of people hashtagging Oprah twenty twenty. What the hell has gotten into you? What has gotten into us? What's gotten into all of us? Oprah's not running for president. All right, hell, I don't know. Maybe she will. Maybe we'll elect her. Maybe we can put somebody else in there who also doesn't know what they're doing. And this goes all the way back to the thing I've been saying for 20 years. We need to get somebody who's not a career politician as a president. Are you kidding me? You don't believe that. You're too smart. We need to get somebody who's not a career car mechanic to work on my car. Too much politics in that shop over there. We need to get somebody who's not a career educator to be the principal. Too many politics going on at that school. None of that shit makes any sense. It sounds stupid as hell. Experience matters. An understanding of the job is important. If you have experience, you're better at it than people who don't. And that's not party affiliated at all. Oprah for president. Give me a bleeping damn break. Come on. So don't, don't stoop down the levels of what you supposedly don't like. And if you see somebody doing it or someone in your family, someone close to you, try to say, listen, man, slow it down a little bit. Slow it down a little bit. We're, we're, Donald Trump's not getting impeached. Russia didn't influence that in election any more than they've been influencing anything in the last you know decade or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. There's a lot of fake stuff going on here and there's no accountability anywhere. And it's beginning to piss me off. Once upon a time, integrity and credibility was one of the most important things in in a many walks of life. And that, this is where I'm really going to sound like old guy over here. Back in my day, but integrity and credibility was one of the most important things in most people's lives and their situations, regardless of what it is. And that's why I've gotten so far in the different industries that I've worked in, and I take very much pride and value in my integrity. If you can't trust me, then then I, I what what is my value? What is my self-worth? If you don't trust me, if, if, you, if you look at me and you think that I'm lying to you, then I am absolutely doing something wrong. And I've badly misjudged the situation here because my goal is, is to make you and not, not make you believe, like try to spin it so you do, try to earn the trust after 15 years of being in this industry that 
if I'm saying it, I believe it to be true. I might be wrong. Hell, I'm wrong all the time. I'm one of the most flawed individuals you'll ever meet. One of the most flawed human beings on this planet. And I know it. And I try to work with that and try to learn from it. But I don't ever say something I don't think is true. And I don't ever do a business deal in a day job or at the radio station or in the podcast world or whatever I'm doing. I don't ever do something that's trying to be deceiving at all. And that because I grew up in a world where that was important. That meant more than almost anything. It was it was so valuable you couldn't put a dollar amount on it. You couldn't pay for it. You had to earn it. And we've just lost that. Absolutely lost it. And I don't know how you get it back. And I'm afraid we might not ever get it back. All right, I'm going to put the wraps on the show. I appreciate you guys finding the show. This is, uh, what am I playing on the way out of here? Oh, yeah, this is Manchester Orchestra. They're not an orchestra, and they're not from Manchester. They're from Atlanta. They'll be at both uh, Bonnaroo and Shaky Knees Fest. Real quick on the way out, it was 1988 that I first have vivid memories of being alive, like of, of multiple things happening in my life. 1988 is the first year that I can remember that. People I knew, going to school, things like that. 1998 was one of my first years of, of a, as an adult or basically barely an adult where I actually thought this is a great year, probably the best year of my life. I just gotten out of high school, got a tattoo, got a, you know, lived on my own, all those kinds of things. Went and saw Pearl Jam for the first time, blah, blah, blah. 2008, I dubbed the Summer of Fun, the 08 Summer of Fun. I had as much money as I'd ever had at that point, great jobs, the prettiest girlfriend you've ever seen, and just had nothing but fun for a three-four stretch uh, period of time. 2008, a great year. 17 ended up being pretty good. I'm really excited about 2018. Genuine, genuine, authentic excitement going into what is now a 30-year stretch of the eighth year of the decade is always a good year. And I'm doing my best to make sure that that happens. And part of that is is the success of the radio station, of relationships I've made, and this podcast. So without you listening to this and following along and enjoying it and giving feedback, none of that is possible. So happy new year indeed for 2018. I know this isn't the first show of the year, and uh, but I just got to thinking about that the other day. I was like, really, it's seriously, 88, 98, 08, and now it's 18. And I'm looking forward to an incredible year. So I thank you for your participation and your support. That's it. I got to go. Hashtag white lies matter. Black lies matter. All lies matter. Don't be a fraud. The truth is easy to remember and continue to watch this space. We will see you guys later. Bye.